0: We uh, sing over that line many times, but there's that's quite something to sing, right? That third stanza says, "Just from Jesus." It doesn't seem that simple, does it? Just from Jesus, simply taking life and rest uh, and joy and peace. Uh, And so I sing that hymn and sing that line and think, "Oh, that doesn't seem simple to me. That's everything: life, joy, rest." peace, all from Jesus. So this morning we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 6. I invite you to turn there with me. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, we're reading verses 24 through 33. As we begin uh, this new year together here in January, we hope to ask some uh, questions together as a church family. I'm uh, new to you as a senior pastor and, um, and uh, you're new to me. And so here in the month of January and maybe into February a little bit, I'm just going to ask some, some simple uh, questions together of the, of the Scripture that are important for us as, as pastor and congregation to be uh, thinking about together. And then later in, in uh, February, we'll begin uh, the uh, morning go- uh, series in the Gospel of Mark, uh, simply walking with, walking with Jesus. But here in January and maybe into February, we're going to be asking some questions. And, and this morning... Uh, we want to ask the, the question, uh, what should we be uh, seeking together? Uh, all of us uh, in our lives are, are seeking something, seeking to be something, seeking to do something. Um, and uh, it's good for us that, as a congregation, as a church, to ask that together. What should we be seeking together uh, as to the body of Christ? And of course, uh, the Lord graciously gives us an answer to that question. In uh, his word. And so, begin reading uh, Matthew 6, uh, verses 24 uh, through 33. This is the Lord Jesus. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. which today is alive, tomorrow is thrown into the oven.
1: Will he not much more
0: clothe you? Therefore, do not be interested in what shall we eat? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word uh, of the Lord. While commenting on this uh, passage, one of my favorite uh, evangelical Anglican writers of the late 19th century, J.C. Ryle, said this, There are thousands in our churches uncomfortable, ill at ease, and dissatisfied with themselves. And they hardly know why. The reason, said Ryle, is revealed here. They are trying to keep in with both sides. They are endeavoring to please God and please man. To serve Christ and serve the world at the same time. Let us not commit this mistake, said Ryle. Let us be decided uncompromising followers of Christ. Let our motto be that of Paul. One thing I do. And then, says Ryle, we shall be happy Christians. We shall feel the sun shining on our faces. Heart, head, and conscience will all be full of light. Decision is the secret of happiness in religion. Be decided, said Ryle, for Christ. Well, Uh, said Ryle, they are trying to keep in with both sides. Unhappy Christians are undecided Christians. They're kind of for the Lord, but they're kind of for the world. They kind of love Jesus and His purposes, but uh, they have many other other loves. And they're all in, in competition. In the book of Acts, at one point, Uh, We are told that the Apostle Paul was in Ephesus and he spent over two years there in Ephesus in the synagogue and uh, in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Daily, the Bible says, reasoning about God uh, and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Two years he was persuading them, reasoning with them about the kingdom of God. And wouldn't we love to know, wouldn't we love to have like, uh, you, know, so, you know, Spurgeon's got all these volumes of sermons. Wouldn't we love to hear the ser- have a, a, the volumes of the sermons of Paul at Ephesus? Well, we have a lot of his sermons, uh, but not all of those. What would he have said? Well, it's clear that in the scripture, uh, one of the dominant themes... Uh, of the preaching of Jesus and the apostles is just that, the kingdom of God. That is simply uh, the reign uh, and the rule of God. We uh, confessed it earlier from the larger catechism uh, that he would reign in the hearts uh, of, his, of his people. And so here this morning we hear uh, from the Lord Jesus that as far as the answer to the question, what should we be seeking together, we should be seeking first the kingdom of God uh, and His righteousness. But why? Well, that's what we want to look at this morning. Three things we're going to look at. First of all, there's there's more to life. There's more to life than you think. And secondly, God cares for you more than you know. And thirdly, you and I need to seek the kingdom more than anything, more than anything else. First of all, this passage says there's more to life than you think. Notice what Jesus says, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? There is much more to life, says Jesus, than you think. For instance, food and clothing. Now, if you think about that for a minute, think about how much... Uh, food and clothing consumes us. Uh, that is, Jesus is talking about what we eat, what we drink, and what we wear. Just, just calculate this in your own mind. How much time do you spend on food and clothing? That is, not only eating it uh, or putting it on on a Sunday morning, getting ready for church, but, but thinking about it, shopping for it, returning it when you got the wrong size, uh, preparing it, arranging it. Uh, storing it in your cupboard, ironing it so you look nice on the Lord's Day, Um, on and on. Uh, I was reading some time ago of a celebrity in Las Vegas who has over 2,500 pairs of Nike sneakers. Now, they're expensive. But for some reason, 2,500 pairs. Uh, Living, of course, in California, we knew that Jay Leno has 136 cars in his garage um, 90 motorcycles. That's a big, that's a big garage. That's pretty big. Now Jesus says, Jesus says in this passage three times uh, to to really um, uh, to take uh, take no thought or to be not anxious uh, about these things. Verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious uh, about your life. Verse uh, verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious. Saying, what shall we eat? Verse 34, therefore, uh, do not be anxious uh, about uh, tomorrow. That phrase, do not be anxious, means do not be distracted. It could be translated, do not be uh, over-concerned about these things. Now, of course, we might have our excuses ready for Jesus. We might say, well, wait a minute, don't we have to provide for our family? Don't I have to give that thought to food and, and clothing? I mean, are, are we meant to starve? Uh, how are we going to make it to the next paycheck if I don't think about these things? Well, the Bible tells us Jesus knows our needs, but He wants us to know that, that simply there is more to life than we think. Is not life more, says Jesus. Now, of course, our life and our, our body are given to us by God, and He wants us to take care of them. He wants us to use them for His glory, but there's more to life says Jesus, then this world and the cares of this world and this body and this belly and this stomach and what I what I wear. So that's the first thing. This is what the gospel is about, says Jesus. This is why I came. I, I want you to know, this is why I came preaching the kingdom, to show you to show you that there is that there is there is much more to life. There is life, for instance, Jesus will tell us in the gospel there is life Eternal. That you, you know, maybe you live 40 years, maybe you live 50 years, maybe you live 90 years. But that is, whatever it is, it is but a, but a glimpse of life eternal. And so if you're giving all your time to that little sliver, when well, there is an eternity to come, oh, says Jesus, you're missing out. There's more. There's much more to life. There's free freedom from slavery to sin There's life filled with love and joy and hope because of the Savior. Do you remember what you just sang earlier this morning? Simply taking from Jesus. Simply taking by faith life and joy and peace and rest. There's more to life. There's a life full of meaning and purpose. There's more to life in Jesus. So simply this. First point, you've got to say to yourself, um, my life is more than, and you fill in the blank, My life is more than my house. My life is more than my my family. My life is more than my car. My life is more than my job. My life is more than sports. My life is more than my career. My life is more than food. My life is more than clothes. That's the first thing, says Jesus. Don't lose sight uh, of the more. Second thing, God cares for you more than you No. Verse 26 says Jesus, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then He says this, Are you not of more value than they? Then down to verse 30, Jesus will say this, But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive... Tomorrow's thrown in the oven. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? That word more is very important to Jesus. And he wants it to be important to us because God cares for us, Jesus is saying. Uh, more, more than you know. James Boyce, which you know, uh, former pastor, 10th Presbyterian, wrote this. Years ago, Time Magazine published a cover story on the presence of anxiety in America. The article was titled, Guilt and Anxiety. It stated that the breakdown of faith in God in the 19th century and in reason in the 20th century, coupled with the accelerated pace and high tension of modern life, have produced, said Time magazine, intense anxiety in many millions of people. So much so, in fact, said Boyce, that it would be correct to call worry one of the most widespread and debilitating ailments of our time. It knocks us out. Wrote Boyce Time wrote, Not merely the statistics of murder and suicide and alcoholism and divorce betray anxiety, uh, or that special form of anxiety which is guilt, but almost any innocent everyday act betrays anxiety, he says. The limp or over-hearty handshake. Uh, the second pack of cigarettes or the third drink. The forgotten appointment. The stammer in mid-sentence. Uh, the wasted hours before the TV set. Uh, Boyce was writing in the 80s. Uh, The wasted hours in front of YouTube, or whatever it is. The new car, unpaid for. In this analysis said Boyce, time was, I believe, at its best. For it's true that worry is with us, and that millions of persons, many of them Christians, are troubled by it. It's not well defined. Perhaps the very vagueness of anxiety is its worst feature. Still, it's quite real. Someone has called anxiety, think about this, someone has called anxiety, said Boyce, Fear in search of a cause. We're fearful, but we're not sure why. That's anxiety. Soren Kierkegaard once wrote, no grand inquisitor has in readiness such terrible tortures uh, as anxiety. So this is, a, this is a serious problem. And yet, uh, the Lord Jesus, here in Matthew chapter 6, tells us uh, three times over, be not... Be not anxious. What is the answer? Well, like many questions we ask, of course, the Bible tells us, well, the answer to this anxiety that, that that time was saying many years ago plagues the whole nation. Is given us in the Word. Philippians 4 6 says, Do not be anxious, as Jesus just said in Matthew 6. Do not be anxious in anything, but this is what you do instead. But in everything. By prayer. And supplication with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known uh, to God. And then what happens? The Bible says then, uh, and the peace of God, which surpa- you won't understand it. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds, your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You, you bring it to God. You rest, in, you rest in Jesus. Well, two examples Jesus gives of why you can do that and why you need to do that, why I need to do that, uh, to highlight the fact that He cares for you and that He cares for me. He uses things that we see every day. Birds and flowers. Birds and flowers. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. You ever look at the birds? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Did you know, said Jesus, that, that birds are not farmers? Birds are not farmers. They don't sow. Uh, they don't reap. They don't carry their stuff into barns um, like we do. Yet God provides for them. And are you not, says Jesus, of more value than they? Now, of course, Jesus' implied answer is Yes. Are you not of more value than those birds? Yes, you are. So why worry about food and provision? God cares more for you than you think. Remember Satan's temptation of Jesus. Jesus had not eaten for 40 days. The Holy Spirit had driven him out into the wilderness so that he would need to face uh, this temptation and Luke four two says this for 40 days being tempted by the devil and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry and the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. You need food. You remember how Jesus answered and Jesus answered him. it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Matthew tells us, Jesus goes on to say, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. And so Satan comes, you need food. And he says, no, what I need more is to live by every word. I can trust every word which proceeds from the mouth of my... I need that even more than the food that you are offering me in this temptation. In other words, Jesus said to Satan, there's something more important than food, namely... The will of God. And verse 27, And which of you, by being anxious, says Jesus, can add a single hour to His span of life? Anxiety does not bear good fruit. Regarding life, remember Psalm 139, where the Bible says, All the days ordained for me were written in your book, says the psalmist, before one of them came to be. So that means that the answer to anxiety... Or this nameless fear without a cause is knowing that God cares for you more than you know. And you can't add a day to your life on earth by worry because all the days ordained for you and for me are already written in God's book before one of them comes to be. He knows. And He cares. So it's birds. But it's also the flowers of the field. Uh, listen to verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? <coughs> Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. So did you know that? Lilies are not seamstresses. No, they're not. Uh, they don't toil or spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now Solomon had a lot of money, Solomon had a lot of gold, Solomon had a lot of horses, Solomon had a lot of wives. Solomon could do pretty much anything he wanted to do as the king, and he could get clothing from here, there, and everywhere. And God says no matter the power of Solomon, he could not have dressed himself up. Uh, even, no, he, he couldn't even reach the beauty of a simple uh, lily that I dress. Myself. One of the wonderful things about living in, um, in California uh, was that we were so near to so many uh, national parks. And usually they had the word canyon in them, uh, of course, because we're up in the desert. And, uh, you know, so of course the Grand Canyon, but then there's Bryce's Canyon, and then there's Canyon Lands, and uh, but then there's Zion National Park, and there's Arches National Park, and it just goes... It goes on and on. And uh, that's one of the things we enjoyed about driving across the country where we could stop with the children just for even a time. Just at at one of these these national parks, one of these great canyons, and just look at the beauty that God has put there, that God has cared for, in the middle of seemingly nowhere. For in some places you think, who gets to enjoy this except God himself? And... uh, Oh, there's, there's uh, beauty to be seen. And uh, God says, Solomon can't even reach uh, the beauty of a little... I do that, says God. I provide. The point is, the wealthiest, most glorious earthly king of an earthly kingdom could not give himself the kind of glorious beauty that God has given to the lowest flower of the field. And of course, man seeks to... To imitate God's creation in science, but God's world is always best. I don't know if you've had this, but, you know, for instance, we've been to Canyonlands or something like that, and I take all sorts of pictures. But then when I get home and I look at the picture, I say, oh, this doesn't seem the same. Uh, that's because as great as the camera is or your, your iPhone or whatever it is, and clear, crystal clear pictures, still, when you remember being there and seeing God's creation with your own eyes... And looking at it through man's creation, you say, oh, it's not quite the same. I've got to go back and see uh, the real thing that God has done. Now, here's the thing. This is God's point about all that. Now, this is what He says. But, verse 30, if God... And you've seen this. You've seen this, beauty, here in New Jersey, too. But if God so clothes the grass of the field... If He does that, but listen, says Jesus, listen... That grass of the field, it's alive today, and it's gone tomorrow. It doesn't last. But God gives all that care to it to make it so beautiful. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? The point here is, listen, the lilies of the field, they pass away. But you are made for eternity. And so if God gives such care to just a little flower, oh, just think of how much care He gives to you who were made to live forever. And if He so clothes the lilies and cares for them and provides for them and and they just get trampled on and and, uh, they grow and die, they're plucked out by three-year-olds and eaten or whatever, and uh, how much more... Does He care for you? Oh, you, says the Bible, says Jesus, oh, you of little faith. Now, He doesn't say you of no faith, uh, but the word little there means kind of puny. It means small. It means short. It means somewhat. It means, it means, it means little faith. Not no faith, but little faith in this God who cares. For you and I. That's why the Bible's full of exhortations to us that our faith uh, needs to grow and our our trust in the amazing grace and love and care of God needs to grow because to Jesus at times it's so small. And so we're called to grow, increase in our faith. Remember the faith of the Father in Mark 9 whose son had an unclean spirit. Uh, Jesus said to him, all things are possible. To them that believe. And of course you know that man said, I do believe, but help help my unbelief. I, it's hard. I don't and, and but Jesus recognizes, no, this there's faith, but it needs to grow. He cares for us much more than we know. Now we have an example, I listen to the scripture of someone who grew in their faith who didn't think God cared for him as much as, as he did, and that of course was the Apostle Peter. He's a good example of one who was captured by worry until he came to know Jesus better. Remember, he's out on the water and he sank when he looked at the waves. And he he worried that Jesus wouldn't care enough for him that if he starts sinking in the water, he's going to die, even though Jesus is right there. And he's worried. And he's anxious. Even though Jesus is right there, he had no need to worry. But he did. And Jesus reached out to him. But then, of course, came the cross and the resurrection and Pentecost. And then that same Peter uh, who sank... Uh, in worry in those waters would write these words to you and to me. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you. And then he says this, Peter. Peter says this.
1: Casting
0: all your anxieties... Remember, he was a fisherman. Casting all your anxieties on Him because... you know the rest? Because He cares... For you, So Peter learned that, and he encourages us through that. So there's more to life than we think. God cares for you more than you know. And you need to seek, and I need to seek the kingdom more than anything else. Notice what Jesus says. Because all this is true, verse 32, For for the Gentiles, he's going to make a contrast here, for the Gentiles, those who, who are outside of, of, of God's covenant family, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. And the word seek there means to seek eagerly after. For the Gentiles seek eagerly after all these things, food, drink, clothing, all that stuff. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But, for you, as a Christian, seek first... The kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now, this is really helpful, I think, for our Christian life. And as we think about a church uh, together in this new year, what are we all about? You know, you're thinking to yourself, what is this pastor all about? And I'm thinking about you. What are you all about? You know, what drives you and and what motivates you? And what compels you? And what are your goals in life? And what are your goals for the church? And you're thinking about me. What's this guy about? What's his goals? And he probably has some strange California ideas or something like that. And,
1: and, you're, and we're all
0: wondering that. And so, because the point is, Jesus, you know that Jesus knows that for every one of us here today, the main question in our life is, of course, what are you seeking? And so Jesus says, well, there's some out there who they're all about, these things. But not you, as a Christian. As a Christian, uh, what you are seeking first, you know, the matters of life, joy of life, peace of life, flow from uh, a person who's seeking after God, His reign and rule, that's what kingdom means here, the reign and rule of God and His righteousness. That is, you are seeking to see... Something of the reign and rule of Christ, His love, His mercy, His righteousness, His holiness. You are seeking to see that uh, in your life, in your family, in the church, and in the community. We just confess in the larger catechism that we pray, Lord, oh do whatever you need to do, Lord, so that uh, whatever is conducive to these ends, that is, that the, the reign and rule of, of Christ would be evident in my life, family, church, and in, and in the world. That's what motivates the Christian believer. Now remember, this whole passage starts with a therefore. So Jesus has been telling us, uh, uh, He's been giving us a, uh, a reason for something. And what was it again? It was in verse 24. Where Jesus says this, No one, that includes you and me, no one can Serve two masters. There can be only one. That is, Jesus says Christians seek first the kingdom and His righteousness. There cannot be two firsts. There's first, second, third. There cannot be two firsts. There cannot be two masters. You and I and as a church, we can only have one first in our ministry, together. And it must be, said Jesus, seeking the kingdom, the reign and rule of God, and His righteousness in our midst, in whatever area of life we're talking about. William Henderson, a Reformed commentator, said this, the psychological tension, of Jesus says, listen, no one can serve two masters. The psychological tension that's built up in the soul of a person who imagines for a while that he will be able to love and serve both masters becomes so severe and unendurable that in attitude and word and deed he will sooner or later begin to show where his real allegiance lies. Do you see what Hendricks is saying? So if if you're a professing Christian who thinks, well, I'll have a little bit of Jesus and a whole lot of the world, Or as Spurgeon once said, dollars for the world, pennies for Christ. If you're that kind of Christian, Hendrickson is saying, at some point in your life, there's going to be a crisis point where these two allegiances, uh, well, one will give way to the other. Either the one, says Hendrickson, either the one master or the other will win out. Actually, has been on top all the while. Though perhaps the individual in question was not fully aware of this. Notice what he says. In the crisis, in the crisis, the agitated soul out of love for the one master will begin to show that he hates the other. Perhaps even to the point of being willing to betray him. Think of Judas Iscariot. Was it not money that led him to deliver Christ into the hands of the enemy? And then he says this, on the other hand, think of Paul. There came a time in the life of this former persecutor when he began to look down on whatever of personal merit, earthly possessions, and prestige he at one time had prized so highly, whatever used to be gained had now become loss. So you see, crisis in the life of Judas Iscariot, uh, he lets go of Jesus, and he pursues what had captured his heart all along anyway. And in the life of the Apostle Paul, uh, he lets go of what he calls eventually rubbish or dung, And he says, I am all about the Lord Jesus Christ. That happens during the crisis. Now, when I read that of Hendrickson a little while ago, I thought, ooh, that that reminds me of COVID. Crisis in our country. And what's happened? Oh, yes, everybody stayed home from worship and many have come back. But you know what else? Crisis came. COVID came. Many couldn't come to worship. They stayed home and they've never come back. And they figured, we don't need Jesus. I'll just stay home. Because I never really needed him. At all. See, the crisis comes. And the allegiance, you see, comes to the forefront. The Christian, Jesus says, seeks first the kingdom of God and His righteousness—that's their goal, that's their pursuit, it, and what, it, what dictates all that they do in their uh, marriage, in their child raising, in their adult Sunday school teaching, in their in their Sunday school program in the church, in their outreaches—it's all about seeking more and more of something of the reign and rule and blessedness of living under the reign of Jesus, and that's what drives the heart. Of the believer. And the wonderful thing, of course, about seeking God's kingdom is the Bible tells us uh, in Hebrews 12 that, of course, the kingdom of God is the kingdom that can never be shaken. That is, it can never be taken away. And everything else we seek in this life, sometimes food, clothing, whatever it is, uh, family, if that's what it's all about, all those things can be taken away, but never the kingdom of God. And his righteousness said, David Polison, if what you most value, think about this, if what you most value can be taken away or destroyed, then you set yourself up for anxiety and fear, right? Because if what you treasure most can be taken away, well, then you're always fearing it will be taken away. But if your eyes are set on the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you know, that kingdom can never be shaken And so you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Seek that first, said Jesus. So you hold me accountable to that as your senior pastor. That's what I need to be uh, all about. Seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness in my own personal life, in my family, uh, among God's people and beyond the the walls of this church and the lives of everybody who lives in this county, that they too would come to join us in seeking more of God. Is that what you're seeking? First? Maybe so. Maybe so. For your eternal good, my eternal good, and for His eternal glory. Maybe so. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, we thank You that we can... Together, as your people, ask uh, important questions of the Bible and for our life together as a church family. Lord, what should we be seeking together? Lord, we know that those outside of Christ, they are passionate about certain things of this life. And Jesus reminds us this morning, dear God, we thank you for it. Oh, that there is to be a first in our life. There is to be a a seeking first, whether it's in our own personal life or career or job or in our family raising our children or here in this church together as Faith OPC. Oh Lord, may it be true that of us it can be said that members of this church in this place are always and ever seeking first something of the reign and rule of Jesus. We want to see it, Lord, come in our own hearts, in our marriages and families, Oh, and among us is the family of God. May it be true, so that you would receive the glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.